Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Thank you for joining us today. It is 10 o'clock in the morning, so yes, it is morning. We thank you guys for, you know, joining us today, listening to the archives, um, what have you. Um, We appreciate you. And so, yeah, I know. But I'm finally at the point where I can get up in the morning and not sleep through alarms now. So we're doing better, and I need to get some consistency with the time to the show. But that's a good thing. We have the archives out there, and we have many, many different platforms or venues for you to enjoy this on. So thank you, thank you, thank you. My name is Kimberly, and this is Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. One more time, I will say, we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And so, you know, it's, it's so much to talk about. You know, over the past several years, We've done this show, talked about a variety of different things, and I've stated before that I was going to go back and redo some of the older shows, which I will. You know, I had some really good information that I was putting out at that time, and, you know, it's relevant still to this day. So we will be working on that and a couple of other projects that are um, coming up. But, excuse me, it's been interesting. This has been a very interesting year. So basically, um, yeah, I'm having technical difficulties, so I'm trying to get all of this stuff worked out on this end. But, you know, the election of Donald Trump in this country, I mean, that's what I've been kind of going off on the past few shows. Well, I mean, it's been several shows. started talking about him last year. And one of my favorite ones was the gospel, you know, of Donald Trump, really the prosperity gospel of Donald Trump, because that is what he was selling to working class and poor whites. And, you know, some people have been looking at me strange because I've been calling this, this what do they call it, um, a white lash, you know, this white lives matter movement what's happening now in this country. Basically, Donald Trump is selling hope and change to white people, you know, hope and change white people style, right? You know, but it's true. And so you have a lot of that going on. That is what this is. And he's already stepping into shit. You know, he was bragging on Twitter that he spoke to, you know, the leader in Taiwan. And China is not happy. And so now you have an administration that Trump claims that he has no respect for. They're trying to clean up his mess. And part of me feels as though basically he should just let it be and let Donald Trump deal with it. You know, it's not too many more days before he'll be taking that oath of office. So it's going to be interesting to see how all of this develops because there's been so much going on down in Louisiana. You know, oh, but before I start that, I got to make sure I do this. 
on the last like few shows, two different times, I made um, an error, and I've been trying to remember to correct that. All right, so on one of the shows, I don't remember which one, but but I was talking about how um, different international organizations sent people over to America to kind of monitor us and watch us, and I said NATO was one, and that was incorrect. What I meant was Amnesty International, so I wanted to make sure that I corrected that. And then also on one of the shows, I was talking about Donald Trump's pick, um, Jeff Sessions, and I said Secretary of State, and I meant Attorney General. So please forgive me for that. And I recognized it that same day when I made that error, but, you know, my brain was all over the place, you know, talking about whatever it was I happened to have been speaking about at that moment. So, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's been a real interesting journey here, watching what's taking place, um, you know, laughing at some shit. So, you know, now you have Donald Trump going on his thank you tour. And I'm trying not to laugh because that shit is funny. That shit is funny. And, of course, you know, you have people that have hurt feelings, you know, tripping about it, namely some of the Democrats and you know, other folks, and even some of the Republicans, you know, we're going to be perfectly honest. But, you know, what's so interesting about the whole thing is all Donald Trump is doing is showing us what the next four years are going to be like. You know, I'd like to categorize them as a rootin' tootin' four years ahead of us. And I think I'm going to do a show about that. But uh, it's that. You know, it's going to be interesting. It truly will be an interesting four years, if nothing else. You know, there are many of us that are bracing for what may possibly be ahead of us. And so, you know, someone brought a couple of things to my attention, and I'm sitting here, and I was reading it, and I was just laughing because you have some folks out here. Again, you know, we've talked about how some white people like to co-opt, you know, different cultures and co-opt their movements and all sorts of fun, interesting things like that, right? And when you call it out and you say something about it, then here comes the white tears and then they get angry and want to call you all of these wonderful names because we won't go along with their program. You know, and it's not just white people that, that, you know, that do that type of thing. A whole bunch of black ones that do the same thing. And then they want you to back them up and to basically co-sign whatever fuckery they happen to be on. And so, you know, I've talked about many things over the years, but I know one of the things that I've talked about and very passionate about is when you have um, so-called marginalized 
you know, um, <laughs> white people. You know, they call themselves, they say they're marginalized, even though they still have white privilege, but because people aren't accepting of whatever additional group they may check the box under. And it's just really interesting because someone brought to my attention today um, someone who, you know, was tweeting out to Donald Trump. And, you know, that's cool because, I mean, you know, I, I get to fucking around some days too, and and that's cool. But what I will say is, you know, you know, being out there doing tweets, all of that stuff, you know, that's cool. You know, I get that. I do that myself. But for some people, I don't know. The thing is, is that do you just not get it? Because, <laughs> because you know, I'm really trying to understand because some of these people basically they feel as though tweeting at certain people and sitting on diversity panels equates to civil rights work, social justice work, and no, that's not how that works. Now, there are some people, like I said, you know, whatever, you know, their status may be in life, you know, it could be a number of issues. They could be um, disabled or not able to go out there because they'll lose their career or you know, it could be any number of things. So, you know, passing the information along on social media is needed because this is how we get people to you know, show up and to support what we're doing and just a number of things. However, sitting at home and tweeting all day and writing articles or blogs telling black people how to protest And going to conferences and sitting on diversity panels that initially had only white men, and then they invited, you know, one or two white women. And then under pressure, they invited, you know, maybe a Hispanic. Not really. Usually they'd find a black and it'll be a black person that they know is safe that isn't going to say anything that makes them uncomfortable. You know, you know, one of the GNCs, GNC is a good Negro crew, right? And with some of these organizations, you know, and I'm talking about across the board because, I mean, this same, you know, issue comes up in all of these different communities, the LGBTQ community, the secular community, the feminist community, et cetera, and et cetera. It's the same shit. You know, just rinse and, and reapply the shampoo. It's the same shit. 
and that's what's so interesting because you have these people in these different communities saying, well, ours is different. We're not like those people over there. Yeah, you are, and you're actually worse. Because you try to find other ways to <laughs> to um to claim that you know you have an, you have more in common with these marginalized people than those other people claiming to be you know allies of the marginalized community. So it becomes the white oppression Olympics, right? You know, and then it goes they go into I too have been victimized. I too have you know suffered from discrimination and just all of this shit that makes black people, it makes us like, you know, what the hell is going on? And I won't lie to you, you know, a lot of times we find it funny. We find it interesting. I've had many a laugh about this shit, you know, and so, (laughs) wow, you know, I'm just laughing because, you know, one particular um, group of people, you know, was so funny, you know, they call themselves social justice warriors or civil rights activists and all of these things. And they say they're in the corner of people of color, you know, they're backing them up, supporting them. And, you know, what's so interesting about it is, you know, some of these are the same people who when we call them out on their bullshit, you know, because many of them consider themselves progressive liberal whites, and we call them out on their bullshit, next thing we know, we got a river of tears. And so, you know, it's been a number of examples over the years, and that wasn't what I was doing this show on today, but I'll give you a couple of the examples. Basically, you know, when they had solidarity is for white women. You know, I'm pretty sure some of you all recognize that particular hashtag and the fallout from that and, 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 you know, the discussions and the think pieces that came out of that particular, um, you know, um, that particular hashtag and the issues surrounding it. So, you know, there were a number of things that came from that particular era. You know, there was a big uproar about, some white feminists that wanted to have a conference or a retreat. And, of course, they were saying, oh, we want the black people to be there. We want the Latinos. Yes, please. You're our sisters. Please come be with us. And they held it on the plantation, or they wanted to hold it on the plantation because that got shot down real freaking fast, you know. And so, you know, it was really, really Interesting, you know. I see you. I see you, caller. But it's going to be a while before I pick up. So, um, yeah, hang in there. You know, I haven't even gotten to the subject matter yet. But you know, it is. It can all kinds of goes together. But um, yeah, you know, you had that particular, <laughs> you know, that particular issue happening there, and you know, it's just. It's really interesting because you know I've I've spoken about the white feminist movement on numerous occasions on this show, and you know how they say that you know that they can relate to black women and 
and that they're trying to help us. I'm saying that in quotes. And what's so interesting about that is many of these women voted for Trump. Yeah, pause left there for effect. But yeah, many of these same white women who can't who claim to be our allies, who claim to be our sisters, voted for Trump. And all you did was solidify that hashtag. Solidarity is for white women. And you know, it's a number of other problematic issues with that specifically, you know, um, it's it's been some kind of nuttiness happening on Facebook and, you know, different blogs as of late in regards to people who who call themselves cisgendered women and trans women. And, you know, apparently some conflict going on there which I'm not in the middle of, and I have not read, you know, all of that. You know, I've had people sending things to me, but I refuse to kind of read it because, to me, a woman is a woman is a woman. I don't, me personally, I do not like saying cisgendered, nor do I like saying trans woman. I prefer to just say woman. However, depending on the venue and the individual, because there are some individuals that want you to address them as whatever. You know, I try to respect that person's wishes. And, you know, again, you know, seeing some of the mudslinging and it's just, it's outrageous. You know, so you have all of these different divides in, you know, these different communities. And it's it's just so funny because at the end of the day, you're still a woman and you're still marginalized. Now, some of those women are more marginalized than others, you know, and, <laughs> you know, this is what makes this dangerous sometimes. You know, the best example I can give you of, you know, a dangerous woman, excuse me, that's out here claiming to speak for a number of communities is Caitlyn Jenner. Because last time I heard Caitlyn was stopping the transition and going, I don't know what the hell anymore. I stopped reading it. So whatever Caitlin does, I wish her the best and, you know, leaving. But that's dangerous, especially when you have these, you know, marginalized communities out here that are already being scapegoated and vilified. And then you get someone like that that's high profile. And, you know, it it creates a situation And unfortunately, it's usually the people who are out here doing the heavy lifting, that are out here doing the advocacy, that are out here, you know, supporting those in the community that are being hurt. You know, the media still is doing a horrible, 
horrible job talking about trans issues and respecting the rights of trans people. You know, when a trans person is murdered or killed, it, it doesn't get the, the press that it deserves. And then sometimes when they do get some press, the press refuses to call people by their correct pronouns. So, you know, there are a number of different issues there. But, you know, <laughs> you know, it, it, the whole thing is just interesting. You know, even within the LGBTQ community, some of the issues that are going on over there, because you have some people in the LGBT community that feel that certain groups do, do not belong in the particular movement. And, you know, there are different arguments out there. So you have some LGBT, well, LGB people who are trying to disavow the T, you know, trying to push the trans people away, saying, well, they're not really one of us. And then you have those of us basically breaking down the history and telling them, yes, they are. If it was not for trans women, particularly trans women of color, black and Latino, Puerto Rican trans women, the entire gay movement probably never would have taken place. And so that history has been whitewashed as well. And so, you know, I'm sitting around and I'm looking at all of these different things, looking at these people arguing with each other, like they have nothing else to do all day but write blogs about each other and tweet at each other and antagonize each other. And, you know, we have some real problems that are happening now. You know, we have problems now that resulted from problems that were not solved way back when. And then you have, you know, the orange wonder getting ready to take this office and – He's creating problems before he's even had a chance to take the oath. And he's already made it quite clear to what his intentions were or are. Now, he's gone back on a number of things, and so there's some white lash from some, you know, working class and poor whites. And it's just interesting because there are quite a few think pieces that have come out you know, even before he was elected. And basically, you know, this is going to be an interesting presidency, you know, and we are resisting now. You know, people have been resisting before he was even elected. And, you know, we're coming into a very dangerous time, very perilous. Not that all these other times weren't. However, with Donald Trump, he says what's on his mind, and he's surrounding himself with some very dangerous people that can make life very unbearable for many of us. And it's so interesting because I want to go ahead and pay homage to Fidel Castro, who passed away, you know, this week. And I'm sitting here, and I'm on Facebook yet again, watching the news feed over on Twitter, watching, you know, what was going on over there, and, you know, watching some of the fights. Some people were saying Fidel was an evil, evil man, and you had some people saying that he was a great man, 
And, you know, and, and what was so interesting is, you know, watching it go back and forth and for, um, you know, the Black Freethinkers Praxis, which is my paper Lee page, basically, you know, it picks up articles. And, you know, there are some hashtags and algorithms that are programmed in. And so sometimes, you know, it'll pick a story from someone who who's the toll, who has the you know, their their belief system is the total antithesis of what, you know, we're talking about and doing over here. And one of the stories was, or one of the articles that it pulled was basically someone accusing black people of, you know, looking at Fidel Castro as a hero and just going on this, you know, rant that was unbelievable. But, you know, what's so interesting is over in Cuba, there, there's a lot of history. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, where I want to go, you know, how much do I want to invest in this particular topic. But, you know, I'll, I'll tell you this. You know, you have some people out here who absolutely hated Castro, but Fidel Castro said, that he refused to die until America, you know, has fallen. And I find it rather ironic that he died right after the election of Trump. And, you know, I sit here and I, you know, I watch these things and, you know, people are talking about Fidel Castro and political prisoners and executions. And in the time frame that Fidel was in power in Cuba, there were only 276 executions. Now, you know, one execution is more than enough. So I, I do not want you all calling me or writing me saying, what do you mean only? It's 200. But there were 276 executions in Cuba under Fidel. At least that's what's reported because, you know, you'll have people calling in, well, they didn't report everything. Okay, this is what we know. However, in America, we've had over 870 people killed this, you know, so far in 2016 by the police. And we've had, you know... (laughs) Well over 1,200, you know, it's actually more than that. But, you know, we've had how many black people have been killed by the police since 2013? The numbers are just outrageous, you know. But Fidel Castro, I'll put it this way. There is this myth out here, and this is something that we see and live with on a daily basis. You see it in the news, you see it, you know, in the movies, and there is this myth of the invincibility of white supremacy. And a lot of white people who are out here saying that Fidel Castro was an evil, evil, evil man and a bad, bad man, there, many of them are saying that because we have been programmed to believe that, and it's just it's interesting because 
unfortunately, in America, you have people who are miseducated, undereducated, and willfully ignorant. And sometimes it's hard to counter their arguments because you're just sitting there astounded because you never would believe that someone actually thought that way, right? And so, <laughs> you know, you know, you get out of here and you start explaining to them, you know, talking to them about, you know, not only Fidel Castro but Che Guevara, you know, um, Fidel Castro's relationship with Nelson Mandela, Nito and a number of other people, you know, and some of these people don't want to hear about it. And it's just really interesting because when I implore them to go and look up the Bay of Pigs and how that came about and how basically America wanted to go over to Cuba to basically exploit, you know, their resources. And Fidel was like hell to the gnaw. And so America has had a chip on his shoulder ever since. And, again, you know, read. Go out there and read. The best way that I can put that, you need to go out there and read and make an informed decision for yourself because, in in many of these situations, like, you know, even with um, Osama bin Laden, initially he was one of America's allies until they got mad at him and then they went to help the other side. And that has happened in a number, a number of different countries, you know, in their relationships with the United States. And so, like I said, <laughs> go on out there. And do some reading and some research for yourself. You know, a lot of people consider Fidel Castro a friend to, you know, communities of color. And I can say he's a better friend than what many of these other people have been and will ever be. But, you know, I'm not here to promote that per se, but what I will say is do your research. Come up with, you know, your own information, your own narratives about what is going on. Not all of us believe the same way. Not all of us feel the same way, and I get that. I get it, but we can't sit back and allow these crazy narratives and tropes continue to be trotted, you know, we can't, we got to speak up, and, you know, most people do not care for confrontation, and I happen to be one of those people. And it's like, but if I have to deal with confrontation, I will. And it's just really interesting because when I clap back, you know, it's just so funny because then you think it's the end of the world. Wait a minute. You don't get to 
speak up and clap back. How dare you? Especially, <laughs> you know, especially if it's darling, you know, that I'm clapping back at. But that's neither here nor there. But, yeah, you know, just watching those arguments in regards to Fidel Castro. And, you know, you hear the arguments from white, black, Latino people. You know, there were some black people that were out there talking about how horrible Fidel Castro is or was. And and, and many of them were basically using the same narrative that many of the whites have used. So that's why I always look at this. And I just shake my head because in many of these cases, the people have not done the research, right? And unfortunately, you have a lot of lazy people out here that don't want to do the research for themselves. And so they rely on others. That's why sometimes you'll hear me making comments about people stealing talking points because they're not going out there. They're not doing the research. They come and steal information from the show, you know, and other blogs and all of that, and then they combine it or restate it in their own ways. Some of you lazy fuckers don't even restate it. You take it verbatim. And I just sit back and I'm laughing at the shit because it's funny to me. You know, I know what I said on the show. And when I read your blog, I know what you've lifted. And so it's just some of the funniest shit ever. But, um, yeah, you know, going back into this Castro thing, like I said, it's going to be interesting, you know, the next four rootin' tootin' years and seeing what's happening. But next Sunday on the show, I'm going to be talking about white explaining from the Democrats, right? And basically what they're telling black people is don't worry, be happy. And so, you know, you know, again, Where's the fucking sit-in, John? Where's the sit-in, Maxine Ellison from Minnesota, Booker from New Jersey? You know, Ellison and Booker have made the headlines this week and, you know, talking about basically stances that they're taking now because Cory Booker is basically talking about standing rock and how this issue needs to be addressed now. That's true. It needs to be addressed now, you know, because, again, when they were going to build a pipeline under that white community, they were like, no, you know, this mark was like, no, you cannot build that here. And so now you want to go under the Native Americans' land, poison their water, destroy their ceremonial grounds. And so what's so interesting is, you know, number one, we have people up there now. And so I'm really, really worried about them, but we know they're okay. But, you know, we're still worried about them. 
and um, you have a lot of people coming up there to to help. Okay, so I got to qualify this. There are a number of soldiers and militiamen that are going up there now to serve as a human shield for that Sioux tribe in that land. And you know what? You know, I give, you know, hey, do it. They need all the help they can get. You know, we need to bring as much attention to this as possible because the media has not, you know, put, media has not covered this. And when they have covered it, it's a lot of propaganda and lies. When they turn the water hoses on those people, they claim that, you know, that the, that the protesters had started fires on the bridge, and that was not true. You know, the fires that had been set were because of, you know, discarded canisters or, you know, well, basically they are discarded, the canisters that the, you know, police use for the tear gas. You know, and it got caught up, and it went, up, and it was caught on fire. But the protesters didn't do that, and it's freezing cold out there, and you're turning the water hoses on these people. Well, anyway, so you have the, I think they're called the Oath Keepers, and, you know, militiamen, and you have, you know, troops going out there to serve as human shields. And, again, I applaud the hell out of that. Because, you know, we're seeing a lot of that at these protests as well. And, yes, yes, you know, hey, I I have nothing to say but good things about that. Because, like I said, last year, Raina and I were on the show, and we were joking about it. And we were like, well, white people came, and they shielded the black people because, you know, the police ain't going to really fight the white people and arrest them, but they would have to go through the white people to get to the rest of us. And then we were also talking about, you know, um, disabled people, you know, inside also shielding the black people. So it was just, it was a really interesting concept and conversation, but we're starting to see people do it, you know, and we weren't the only ones talking about this. There were other people as well. So I just want to make sure that's clear. But, you know, we're starting to see that, and that's an ally. That right there, that's an ally. And so, um, <laughs> and if you go to, you know, some of these protests, you will see these things. You know, so, again, you know, my hat's off to those folks. But, yeah, Democrats, where is the sit-in? Where is the sit-in for this? You sat in on a whole bunch of other stuff, allegedly. Where is the sit-in for this? I'm just asking questions. Because next week when I talk about you guys, I'm going to actually go in. You know, because my whole thing is you have a lot of these Democrats that are attempting to scapegoat other communities. You know, you have some of them out there attempting to scapegoat the black community. You have some of them out there, you know, scapegoating the Latino community, the Muslim community. It's just, you know, we're seeing all of this and how people are blaming 
others for, you know, the election of Donald Trump. And, you know, one of the things that we talk about on this show, and I talk about this, you know, ad nauseum, is, you know, scapegoating of others, particularly minority communities. And it happens all the time. And even after you show them the numbers, you do the work, show them the proof, bring them the receipts, they still have their minds set on scapegoating certain communities. And it's outrageous because, you know, you want to scapegoat these communities because you say they didn't get out and vote for Hillary, not enough of them, and this is because you didn't vote or you were apathetic and, you know, all of these things. So, you know, they're, you know, like I, I would like to call this flipping the script. So they're flipping the script on this whole scenario. Why? Because they don't want us going in on them about how the black and Latino vote was suppressed. They said nothing about it. They did nothing about it. We have Donald Trump because of that. Okay? And, again, these communities are not monoliths. But, again, in this country, one thing that Americans do, and they do well, is passing the buck, scapegoating other folks. You know, and, you know, I think it's time for us to start really putting a lot of pressure on the Congressional Black Caucus and the Congressional Latino Caucus, as well as the other Congress people. You know, the white congressmen and women don't get away. You know, voter suppression. That wasn't covered in the news. Not really. And so, you know, I sit back. And I look at this shit, and I'm like, you know, what the hell is going on? Because I know we've talked about it, you know, when the Supreme Court struck down Section 5 of the Voting 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 Rights Act. I'll get it together in a minute. You know, it was kind of a bittersweet moment for many of us that check many boxes next to our name. And, you know, as I've warned before, they're going after Section 2. Because, you know, if you go back to that time period, the minute the Supreme Court struck it down, the very next day you had people, politicians and you know, North Carolina and Texas and other places, you know, filing suit. We saw what happened in Alabama when they shut down, you know, all of those different polling places and the Department of Motor Vehicles, making it harder for people to register to vote, you know, with with people, the requirements becoming even more and more difficult to register to vote. It was more difficult for me to register to vote in Illinois than it was for me to get a driver's license, and you do both in the same place at the Department of Motor Vehicles. They were like, oh, here's your driver's license, yay. Okay, I would like to register to vote. Well, we need 12 pieces of identification. We need, you know, a phone bill, a light bill, a gas bill. It's just it's freaking ridiculous. 
But nothing is being done about that. Where's the sit-in? John Lewis, where is the sit-in? Ellison, Booker, where is the sit-in? Waters, the number of you. The hell are you doing up there? And then you wonder why many people of color are abandoning the Democratic Party. I'm an independent. I used to be a Republican, a staunch Republican at that. And then I became an independent. And I still consider myself an independent to this day. However, unfortunately, you have a lot of tradition in many of our communities. And what's so interesting is you know an election is coming up when all of a sudden all the politicians want to go to church and give a word from the law to the community about how the community should vote for them. And then you got these GNCs around looking for leftovers and damaging the community while trying to enrich themselves, empower themselves. And for those who do not know what GNC means or what it refers to, it's the Good Negro Crew. You got a lot of self-serving opportunists out here. You don't need to start recognizing who's who. What they say, all skin folk and kin folk. You know? So, all right. Let me pull this caller in. And because they had their hand raised from the beginning. And let's see. Let's see here. I'm pushing the button. Caller, can you hear me? May we have your name? Uh, Eli from uh, Virginia. Yeah, I was digging. I love this live blog radio. I hear a lot of truth to power on here, even though I don't agree with a lot of what you say. Uh, I, I'd say you're a mm-hmm. rational, independent, and objective thinking uh, uh, person, and that's counter to what we hear on the mainstream media and these radio talk shows and uh, and the newsprint and the TV, which is uh, sounds like uh, we're listening to a bunch of brainwashed folks out there as we get the same narrative. But I was digging what you were saying in Castro narrative, and I'd like to ask you a, qu- a few questions, if you don't mind, about all the topics you've discussed. Uh, um, number one, yeah, we can do a couple. Go ahead. Uh, pardon, pardon me. Now, so we can we can try to answer a couple of questions. You know, okay. because I uh, have uh, much much more to get to. So, but I want to be fair. So go ahead. All right. Uh, now, can you explain uh, why millions of Cubans uh, risk life to leave Cuba? Well, I don't speak for the Cuban people that left Cuba to to come to America. Um, Those were individual choices for whatever reasons. And so, I mean, (laughs) that's how that goes. I mean, there are a number of people leaving other countries that are headed to America because they have been told that they could have a better life here. Uh, And, and, 
you know, what's so interesting is with many of those people, particularly particularly the ones from Mexico and the ones from Central and South America, you know, those particular people, they're coming here for a better life as well and being turned around. And no one is talking about how the United States is paying money to Mexico to give some of the South Americans, you know, Hondurans in particular, to give them a hard time and make it harder for them to make it to the USA. So, you know, you have a number of people that come to this country for a number of reasons, but those are their individual reasons. I just find that kind of weird that, uh, you know, 20% of Cuba's population is leaving Castro's paradise. But getting back to another question, uh, do, do you think a politician or a bureaucrat in Washington can best manage your life than yourself? A politician in Washington best manage my life and myself. No, they can't manage their own lives and themselves. I agree. Then, then would you agree that we need to remove the power from Washington to inf- interfere in our personal lives? I've been on this fire them all kick, take away their pension. They have a lifelong salary. You only have to be elected once to receive your salary for the rest of your lives. You have the Cadillac, you know, medical plans, all of that. So there really is no real incentive for them to work and to to pay attention to their constituents and do what's best for their constituents. And unfortunately, many of them start out correctly, wanting to do what was right for the proletariat, but once they get there and, you know, they're taught that basically, yeah, we know you want to do A, B, and C, but we're not going to allow you to do it, so you may as well get with the program. And I'm saying that across the board. I feel that every person in Congress, you know, all just fire them all, and that includes the state legislatures too take away those pensions, take away those lifelong salaries, make them earn a living like the rest of us, prosecute them for some of the conflicts of interest in which they've worked closely with some of these lobbyists, so you have the insider trading. There's a lot of things that aren't right. And you're going to cure the, you're going to cure that. and that's well, you're going to cure the symptom. What I'm going to say, you don't think that if you removed every politician in the state legislatures in, in Washington today that the problem wouldn't reemerge when we had a new set of crooks take office immediately after them? You think that the oh, problem no, would was. be solved by removing it, it this group? No. So you think that that's oh, – okay. No, it never has been. It never has been. But, you know, before so, we so, do something like that, we need to sit down and try to figure out how to put these things in line. But no, it would be the same part. Why? Because most people are greedy. And unfortunately, in America, you have a lot of people who who like being followers, and it's easier for them to do as they're told and to follow the leader or follow what the next person is saying as opposed to utilizing critical thinking skills and challenging the status quo. But you said uh, that uh, you're just addressing a symptom by removing the politicians in power now because they'll be replaced by people that are probably equally corrupt. But you, you said greed. You mentioned most people are greedy, and I think they're self-interested, though. But now I don't have a problem with someone who gets what they want by peaceful and voluntary means. Do you think that other people in society or corporations or individuals owe you, owe you money or that you're entitled to their money? Repeat that. I want to make sure I do. You think it. that people, that certain segments of society, 
individuals or, or, or institutions or corporations are in, you're entitled to their money that they've gotten that wealth by ill-gotten means and that, that, they, it, that you're entitled to some of it. Yes. Okay. Well, wouldn't that be considered greed unless they actually stole it from you? Well, actually, you did. You spent over free labor over the over four hundred years of free labor, and again, even now, you know, um, basically being paid peonage wages, um, and just a number of things. These individuals, you know, I talked to some people who brag. That that their family wealth came from slavery, from the slave trade. You have these corporations. All state is one example that has achieved, you know, the wealth that it has due to its participation in ensuring the slaves during the slave trade. So this country, America, and the economy that we sit in, for us to be the wealthiest country in the world, our our economy. Capitalism was undergirded by slavery, in which they are still profiting from it now. Take us back to the 13th Amendment and the prisons, through the prison pipeline and all of that. Yes, nothing but modern slavery, legalized slavery. And, yes, the, level, the playing field needs to be leveled out. And, yes, it needs to be a redistribution of wealth. And because I mean, you didn't get it, excuse I mean, you know, you want to hear people people want to say that they got their wealth from working hard. Well, actually, no. We worked hard, and you delegated the work and then would beat us if we didn't produce whatever it was that you wanted. And the same thing happens to this day. So it's just really interesting, you know, how, you know, the wealth of this country was put together, the wealth of this country was acquired, but nobody wants to talk about how. It was acquired. So I'm going to move on, but thank you for calling. I appreciate it. You know, so, again, yeah, we need to talk about some of these things, you know, and I appreciate his calling in. And I also appreciate him being fair and allowing me to answer the questions and having a civil conversation with me. Thank you. I appreciate that because most people will just come on board and just go off into a rant. So that was respectful. And we were able to have our opinions and move forward. But um, I posted <laughs> this meme that's going It's not even a meme. It's basically a screenshot of a Twitter encounter. And so you had Carl Reiner who said, I, a Jew, was willing to give Trump a chance till I heard his chief of staff say he'd not allow his kids to go to a school if Jews attended. And whoever this Miles E. Johnson is, guy, my hat's off to you because this is his response. Translation, I was willing to empower whiteness, white supremacy, until I learned that I may not be considered white in the white imagination. Now that's a clap back for your ass. Job well done, Miles. And it's true. And it just it, it also feeds into what we've been talking about on the show about whiteness and how whiteness was created and how race really is a you know a social construct, but it's reality because it has power because 
the powers that be give it power. And so, you know, I really want you all to go out and get some of these books like um, White Rage. And it's another one called The Wages of Whiteness. And just a number of books out there that can help you better understand as to how this hierarchy works. And so what was so funny about this, because this this meme was making this way, it made its rounds. And basically, you know, some of the people were, you know, kind of going in saying, well, you know, Jewish people work really hard to become white. And this right here, you know, shows that, oh, wait a minute, you know, I'm not part of the elite white club. And I keep telling you guys, the only really true white people are white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, and those are the people from Western Europe. You know, I always say Americans, but most of the Americans were from Western Europe initially. You know, they were the Queen's bastards, and they got kicked out of England. And England wouldn't take them back. And so it's just interesting. So, you know, when you see shit like this, it's just like boom. And, you know, there was a young man on my on my wall, and he was saying that black people had attempted to explain these things to him, and he just couldn't get it. But finally it clicked when he saw the Nazis that were, that are supportive of Donald Trump. And he said that is when it clicked for him. And so I'm glad you get it. But there's still a lot of education that goes along with that. And so, you know, (laughs) it's a lot. It's a lot. But, you know, I give credit. People are trying to, to get a better understanding of what's happening. So, you know, it's it's a lot of stuff that's going on, and um, let me read the show information. So the show title for today is White Americans and Western Europeans to the Rest of Us. Fuck your safe spaces, right? And so it says here, please join us as we discuss the so-called white allies and their utter betrayal. They are the same people who feign confusion and dismay when people of color create safe spaces. It was already bad enough that they mocked and ridiculed us for our originality while they secretly coveted the very qualities that made us stand out. Once they appropriate it, they capitalize on it and then give us the middle finger when we protest their Columbusing of our cultures. Meanwhile, they demand that we educate them about their racism and corrupt systems. Then they accuse us of lying about facts that they didn't know about. Instead of researching these matters for themselves, they settle for not believing us and accusing us creating our own problems. Even the nice white people, quote unquote, who desperately want us to forgive the white people for being so assholery and crying salty white tears because we are now saying hell to the all, fuck that shit. People who make these types of accusations and demands are not our friends. Let me repeat that. They are not our friends. Meanwhile, back on the block, which is where many of us live, we're being deported from the very communities and slums owned by wealthy white landowners and developers 
you know, we're being deported and then we are corrupt, you know, from communities that we were corralled to live and survive in. See, these communities and these conditions were created, everybody. Yeah, I'm going off script a little bit, but, yeah, these these situations in the inner city, you know, these these urban reservations, as I like to put it, these situations, this was created. You know, poverty is an industry. Poverty is created. And, you, and it's just so much to talk about because it doesn't have to be this way. So anyway, um, yeah, so basically, yeah, it's, it's just, you know, now that the weary white people are tired of commuting from the very suburban enclaves that they created and refuse to allow us to buy homes in or refuse to sell us homes, if you go to some of these, you know, suburbs and you start reading the charters and the policies and, you know, the um, homeowners association rules and bylaws, and some of them you will see that it says that you cannot sell your home to a black person. You know, there have been numerous court cases, and, you know, I'm not making this up. Go look it up. Go look it up. And so it's interesting. So, you know, you know, now they want to move back into the city. The white people want to move back into the city because it's convenient for them. They're closer to the downtown area, closer to the major airports, closer to many of the conveniences of life. And so, you know, I'll give Chicago as an example. You know, the news media is biased. We all know that. And we also know that the news stories about people of color, black people, you know, is is top-heavy. And what I mean when I say top-heavy is, you know, they disproportionately report on some of the so-called crimes happening in the black community, and this is being done on purpose. And so what's so interesting is is that, you know, they're painting these inner cities, Chicago in particular, to be just so bad and so horrible. You know, you have a lot of people, you know, a lot of black people who own land in the city. They're selling it to move away, to get away, and the issues of crime are not being addressed fully. And what I mean by that is no one is talking about the you know, the economic inequalities. No one is talking about, not seriously anyway, you know, talking about educational, you know, inequalities. You know, the lack of businesses owned by black people in their own community, you know, and, and what's so interesting is because they like to throw in our face and say, well, you know, the Latinos or the Asians, they get together and they create these businesses and, and, and they, they build their wealth and they move on. And it's so funny because, I mean, we hear this shit and we hear it over and over. We hear it so much that we start spitting that shit at each other. Like, no, black people don't want to advance. They don't want anything. If they did, we put our money together and start these businesses and clean up our own communities. Well, let me give you a little food for thought. As I've stated before on this show, we have the intellect. We have the resources. We have the wherewithal to do these things. 
to be, you know, economically independent and prosperous, have businesses that flourish, run for political office, and serve with integrity. And I'm putting one quote around integrity because the definition of that varies. However, here is here now. Here's the here's the headline for your ass. We've done that before. We've done it after we did it before. And we've done it after that. When you have prosperous black towns and cities, if you go and you look at the history of America, when working class and poor white people start to do worse or, you know, they're not faring as well economically as as they feel as they're entitled to fare, what they do is they come and they, let's say they form these groups, you know, these brotherhoods, and come to the black communities and start lynching folks, start killing them, chasing people out of town. You know, we had Christopher Everett on the show twice talking about what happened in Wilmington, North Carolina. And for those of you out there, please watch Wilmington on Fire. This is a documentary Mr. Everett put together, and he did an outstanding job. And, but, you know, we had Tulsa, we had Rosewood. It happened in Chicago. It happened in Los Angeles. It happened all over this country. So, you know, the next time someone says that to you, you know, and, like I said, I don't like for people to repeat me. I want you to go and, and research and find these things out on your own. But the next time you have some white person or even some Latino person or some Asian person or even another black person who said, well, why can't we do what they're doing? We did. But every time we do it, it gets shot the hell down. And unfortunately, right now, we're in an even worse position because a lot of the black and brown wealth was stolen and destroyed in 2007, 2008 with the mortgage crisis, you know, when when that bubble popped. And so you need to go back and understand how this, these conditions came to be. You know, if you go back and you look at Reconstruction, you'll see that the black communities were underdeveloped on purpose. And like I said, we were corralled into certain parts of the inner city. And again, to enrich wealthy white landowners and developers. Come on now. And so, you know, I need for you guys to pay attention to that. And now that the city property, you know, has increased in value, you know, the taxes go up. And unfortunately, many of these people who may have owned this, this particular real estate for generations, they cannot afford the increases in tax. You know, there are some people who have lost their homes because they owe 27 cents in taxes. They were 27 cents short and lost a three, four, five hundred thousand dollar property for 30 cents. Well, you ought to think about it and go out there and pay attention because this inner city property is very valuable. And in Chicago in particular, you know, Rahm Emanuel closed down 50 schools predominantly in black and Latino communities. He says it's because of, you know, 
basically because the schools weren't performing, that they were underperforming. No, it's about real estate. It's about land. It's about money. So they're pushing people out. So I need for you to understand that. And so to get a better understanding of what's happening. So anyway, the last part, confusion is bountiful now that we are telling the Democrats you will not take us for granted anymore and screw you and your candidates. And I'm just saying, get ready. This is the beginning because, you know, many of us I hear who just don't give a damn anymore. And we're like, fuck you and fuck all that bullshit. And you haven't done anything to help us. And, you know, a couple of weeks on the show, I basically, you know, not basically, I outright said that Democrats are just as culpable and complicit as the Republicans in regards to the conditions that communities of color are living in. But unfortunately, when when FDR had the New Deal passed, you know, black people were tricked into believing that we would benefit from the New Deal. What they didn't understand is that on the back end, the Republicans made a deal with the Democrat Dixiecrats that they would con- that they would basically allow them to continue to oppress black people. See, they need that cheap labor, which is why we still say that blackness is being commodified. And again, you have a lot of people, a lot of people of color, black people, that are incarcerated. And, you know, I know quite a few, and they say it's like slavery, you know. And there was a big hubbub because you had companies like Whole Foods and others that were benefiting from some of the artisanal products being made by prisoners. And prisoners are getting paid pennies on a dollar, and these prisons, you know, many of them privately owned, were making a profit. You know, some of them are on the stock market being publicly traded. So, you know, guys, we just need for you to pay attention and to start questioning things. And so, yeah, I need to get into the subject matter a little bit more because, um, yeah, we're being told, fuck your safe spaces. And the interesting thing about that is what's happening in Standing Rock. Because I have to give you all examples to better understand, you know, what I'm talking about here. And so finally, finally, somebody started writing pieces, think pieces, about how some of these white people are going down to Standing Rock and treating it like it's Burning Man. You know, like it's some type of winter break or spring break or summer break. And these are real lives on the line. And unfortunately, you had a white woman who had her arm, you know, pretty much blown off. And that got a little bit of press, but not a lot. But, you know, you have these these groups of people going down there, the majority of them you know, they have the right intentions, and they're going down there to help and to bring supplies and to protect and shield, you know, these these indigenous people 
you know, who are being treated so unfairly. And what's interesting about that is um, one of the historians for the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, she was talking about how over 140 representatives of the different First Nations, indigenous nations, how they have gotten together time in a number of years collectively to oppose what is happening here. So what you're seeing now, again, as I've stated before, if Donald Trump hasn't done anything, he has convinced us that we're going to have to band together to fight. We really don't have a choice. He's forcing us to rely on one another, to work with one another, to support one another in this fight. And so, you know, it's just, you know, there some of the white people are going down there. And, and you know, I question if some of them aren't agents being sent down there to create chaos and mayhem in the first damn place. So it's going to be really interesting um, how all of that turns out. But, yeah, you know, and so you, so some of these white people, they come into our safe spaces, and in some cases, some of them just want to take over because you got some white people out here that are trying to tell us how to be black. And you should be mad about this because this is what it means. I'll give you a really simple example. Um, the Lion King. Remember that cartoon and how some of the progressive liberal white people were angry about the hyenas saying that the hyenas represented inner city blacks. And then it became a thing. It became an issue. And it's just, you know, and, and that was a very simple, you know, example there, but yeah, you know, you have some white people that come into these spaces and they attempt to take over. And, you know, because I had a situation in which a white person came into my space and was trying to tell me what I should do and what we need to do. And, yeah, I shut that shit down real fast. I don't have a lot of patience for that. And um, and this this is what's happening, not only in America, but it's happening over Europe. And unfortunately, you have a lot of these nationalists, in particular white nationalists in America, who are, you know, ecstatic that Donald Trump, you know, won election. You know, the Klan, you know, they had a hoedown yesterday, you know. And, you know, on the night that Trump was elected. And you're going to see more and more of this. And they've outright stated, fuck your safe spaces. And the same things are happening over in Western Europe. You know, and and this is happening not only in black communities, but in Muslim communities. And, again, you know, they are, you know, Donald Trump stated that he was going to make a registry for Muslims. And they have to be vetted. And we cannot allow that to happen, you know. And like I said, you know, we're sitting back and we're watching this shit and we're speaking out about it and we're protesting against it and working with one another because 
we cannot allow this to happen to, you know, people in general because it's only a matter of time before it comes down our road, comes to our communities. And so, you know, I've been sitting around watching things and doing some experiments on my own. And so, like I said, next Sunday I'm going to be talking about white explaining from the Democrats telling people of color that, oh, don't worry, be happy, it'll be okay, it's all going to work out. How the fuck do you know? Because, see, you still have the privilege of being identified in, in some respect as white, which is why I talked about that Carl Reiner tweet, because that's, that right there is one of the best examples ever. You know, Carl Reiner, who believes that he's an authentic white person, you know, basically, you know, got bitch slapped in so many words when they said, well, no, we're not going to send our school, our children to a school where Jewish kids attend. So you're all about the white people until they say you're not one of the white people they're talking about. You're not their kind of white folks. Hmm. I guess that was a fuck you to your safe space too, right? So the whole thing is interesting. And since the election of Trump, you know, I've I've noticed a lot of things, you know, and and with some of these organizations and groups and that we're dealing with. You know, I'm trying to figure out how to say this as gently as I possibly can. You know, and I'm not always known for being tactful, but I'm just at the point that having other people invading our safe spaces and insisting and demanding that, you know, we allow them into our safe spaces, some of them going as far as, you know, real-life performative art, Rachel Dolezal, and it's annoying. So, you know, you know, I, I guess, you know, why don't we, you know, invade their safe spaces? So I've been doing some experimenting, and it's just funny. I remember a situation in which this one white woman kept calling me gal. Not girl, but gal, G-A-L-L. And this happened to a friend of mine not too long ago. Needless to say, neither one of us was really happy about that. You know, and we stopped that shit because with the person who was, you know, anyway, I won't say what I said and did, but we'll just say that never happened again. You know, and now that Trump has been elected, you have some white people, you know, attempting to pick fights with black people and especially older blacks. And so, you know, I take it upon myself, you know, when I go to some of these places, 
And, you know, I see some of that happening. You know, I'll intercede, especially when the black person looks uncomfortable. And I'll just go up and stand in front of the white person and make conversation with the black people and act as though that white person isn't even there. Because, you know, one woman on Facebook was talking about how this older white man was picking a fight with an older black woman. And all she could do was, you know, cry because, you know, she knew that we were going to start seeing more and more of that. And we are. You know, it's so funny because, you know, when I go to my doctor's office, which is more than I care to go, Basically, you know, my doctor's offices are in very affluent white neighborhoods. And I'll stop by some of their grocery stores or what have you to pick up whatever I need. And it's just the funniest thing because I'll be standing in an aisle, let's say, I was looking for some soup. And, you know, you know, you see people, especially if it's at the end of the aisle, so you see people passing by, and you can tell when they're cart, when they're trying to turn, and then they see you, and then they straighten out their cart, and they go away. And then, you know, sometimes I play with them. I'll leave, and, you know, they'll go back, you know, after I've left, and then I go back to the same aisle, and they find a reason to leave. And it's just the funniest thing to me because sometimes I do it on purpose just to see how many times they're going to do that until they stop moving. And so, you know, having these awkward encounters now, you know, is is interesting. So, like I said, you know, the next rootin' tootin' four years are going to be interesting. And I just tell you guys to be prepared because um, it's (laughs) – you know, things are changing. So, you know, I'm just going to try to invade every white space I can find and go there and speak Negro, right? Every museum, train, plane, and bus. And I'm going to sit next to you on purpose. It may not, you know, it may be every other seat on the bus is, is empty. I'm going to sit next to you. Why? Because I can't. See how you start liking that shit, you know. And what's interesting, in certain situations that I've been in, you know, the conversation would start out friendly, of course, and then it turns into a situation whereas the white person will start talking about crime in the black community or they'll talk about why don't blacks go to school you know, can't even get them to finish high school. and You know, and, and the conversation gets contentious. And so it's just, <laughs> you know, the whole thing is outrageous. And for those out there that are, you know, going to these job interviews, the shits and giggles when they start asking you if you have any experience, Maybe you should tell them you have the same amount of experience as Donald Trump. Let's see if that'll get you the job. See what they got to say about that. So, you know, again, you know, you have people that are coming into these safe spaces. You know, and it's not just white Americans. You know, again, you have with some of these groups, 
you know, they're sending in agents to attempt to break up the groups from the inside out. They're coming in there to disrupt. But, yeah, white Americans and white Europeans, you know, over in London, you had the Brexit, and you have these incidents happening all over the world, whereas you'll see white people openly chastising and scolding black people. I saw a couple of videos where people were sitting, you know, black people were sitting in their seats, whether it was the bus or the train. And one particular incident where, the, you know, the black woman was on the train and the white guy was screaming that the black woman should get up and give him the seat. And nobody said anything. And there were a couple of, you know, situations in which you had white people basically damn near, you know, decapitating some Muslim women trying to, you know, snatch their hijab off. Come on. You know, and you got a lot of white folks that said nothing when that happened. And we're supposed to take you seriously because you're wearing a fucking safety pin? You're wearing a safety pin when someone is trying to rip their headpiece off, but yet you say anything, you say nothing, telling them it's a safe space, you know, but you're not going to give your name and number and, and any of that because you don't want to get involved. Then what are you wearing a fucking pin for? You know, I don't even like that campaign with the safety pin. Say something. Open your mouth. And this is happening all over it's really interesting because I know a couple of years ago, two, three years ago, I was posting quite a bit of information from Europe, you know, particularly France and Germany and Italy, and some of the racism that was happening over there, and even some of the marches that the white nationalists and the Nazis were having, especially in France which is why you had a lot of Jewish people moving out of certain areas of France to get away from, you know, the fascism. And this has been happening for a while, and we don't see it getting better anytime soon, especially when you have Donald Trump, you know, giving a position to Steve Bannon that doesn't need congressional approval. And trust me, he is not the only one that Trump is appointing a position to. So, you know, again, you know, what are we out here? What are we doing? You know, you have a lot of people out here that are attempting to claim and you know that they're social justice warriors or civil rights activists. Yet the right the rights that you are fighting for are the ones that will empower yourself and those that look like you and think the way that you do. And unfortunately, it's limited, you know, with some people. 
you know, I have a question written here. I said, what is justice and is it limited? And in many situations, yes. You know, what's so interesting is you have people going out, well, you know, you're violating our civil rights. You know, our civil rights to, to, to be LGBTQ, our civil rights to be, you know, an atheist, our civil rights to be pro-woman, to be a feminist, and et cetera, and et cetera, and, and so on, and what forth, right? But yet some of these same people are absolutely silent about the racism in their own community, about the homophobia and transphobia within their own communities. And, yes, there is transphobia in the LGBTQ community. Hell, there's homophobia in the LGBTQ community. Let's not play cute today. Racism in all of these communities. And what's so interesting is I want you guys to go and look because even within, you know, some of these, you know, quote-unquote marginalized communities, they don't address the racism. And many of the rank-and-file people who support these particular movements and organizations, many of them are openly racist or openly misogynist or openly homophobic, et cetera, and so on. And, you know, when some of these people attempt to say something or an organization attempts to put out some type of press release, you know, demanding that, you know, that type of behavior is stopped and demanding some respect, even if it's on a Facebook thread, then they get backlash from their membership and then they shut up and go melt into the background because they need the money from those people. They want the numbers. And what's so interesting is that in some of these communities that have attempted to incorporate and include you know, black and brown people, their membership numbers have dropped off. The attendance to their conferences and conventions have dropped off. While at the same time, you have these xenophobes in these communities, you know, very outspoken, loud xenophobes whose popularity and following is, is getting greater, is getting bigger. You know, and and they can raise money for, like, stupid shit, and nobody questions it. And so, you know, you're at this point now where you have people that are part of these communities are too afraid to speak, while safe spaces that other people have created for themselves and other people who are harassed, intimidated, marginalized in whatever capacity. They create these safe spaces to get away from that. And then you have many of the people, you know, that are part of the general membership, part of the problem, saying, well, why do you have to have black in your name or Latino or your Muslim or the Asian or any of this? Because we didn't feel comfortable over there. And then, you know, in some cases, some of these spaces allowed some of the, you know, white people to come in. And in some cases, they create chaos and mayhem. 
And here we go again. You know, you can't have a, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's outrageous. And, yeah, it may sound like I'm talking about small potatoes, but to a certain degree, yes, but to a greater degree, no, because it's just a mirror image. It's just a microcosm, just, just a mirror, small mirror image to what's happening in society as a whole. And so, you know, this is why you get pushback. You know, and so, again, you know, we have this struggle for justice, you know, and, and, again, what is justice? Justice is different for different people. A lot of people define it different ways. You know, unfortunately, you'll hear some people say, well, you know, justice for us is we want, you know, atheism normalized. We want you know, marriage equality or gay or gay marriage normalized, or we want, you know, woman power, girl power, feminism, womanism, you know, um, normalized. And I'm like, okay, okay, so all right, so you want it to get to the point whereas you're treated with common human decency, dignity, and respect, right? And, of course, the answer is yes. And then my next question after that is, okay, fine. Then, you know, what are you doing to combat the racism, the sexism, the misogyny, or what have you in your own community that these other groups are experiencing? Oh, well, I hadn't thought about that or I haven't done, well, I'm not a part of that group, so I don't feel as though I should have to say anything. Yeah, if you call yourself an ally, yeah, you kind of need to say something. But when you speak out, don't sit here and try to tell us how to be black, how to feel our pain, how to spend our money and direct our energies. That's not your job. And then you wonder why you get pushback. You know, why don't you get out here for some of you white allies that you know, that want to help, why don't you get out here and start talking more about police thuggery? Talk about that. Talk about legal murder. State-sanctioned murder. Now, let me explain what state-sanctioned murder is. It's not only having the police officers killing people without due process, but also a lot of this intra-communal killings, you know, that's state-sanctioned as well, which is why you always hear me talking about economic and educational disadvantages and being part of the root problem to what's happening in these cities. You know, get out here and talk about wealth inequality. Some of you can't because you're libertarians. And there is a whole, whole several podcasts that I've talked about that. And, you know, what's interesting is that many of them hate poor people. And you have black libertarians who are fucking poor. And they hate poor people. I just can't wrap my brain around that. 
why don't you all start talking about protecting voting rights? Since the media won't do it, these politicians aren't doing it. White allies, there you go. That's something for you to do as opposed to getting angry because you don't get the discount because you're not praying in public. And, you know, it's interesting because just fucking pathetic and pitiful, some of you. You know, why don't we talk about discrimination in every form? Get out there and do some real social justice work, some real civil rights activism. Oh, that's too hard. You just want your regular, you know, everyday white person privilege, status, and entitlement back. So, yeah, you know, it really is all about you feeling normal and getting your white man, white woman privilege back, get it restored to the very glory that you have become accustomed to. You know, I mean, how about, you know, expanding your territory there? You know, expanding your territory as opposed to encroaching the territory of, you know, black and brown people. And when I say expand the territory, I'm talking about you actually having a conversation with the black, brown, and red people and listening and learning and taking the back seat. Because unfortunately, many of you guys, you know, are there for the microphone and the recognition and, you know, the compensation you know, in various forms. But there are a lot of black and brown people that are there for the same thing. And we've been talking about that. So, you know, I mean, I talk about these groups, talk about, you know, some of the things that are happening. But that's, you know, one of the reasons is because, again, you know, the question is, you know, what is justice and is it limited? And some of you have put limits on it. Limited to yourself and those who think and look like you. So, you know, that empathy and respect, it only goes so far, right? And what's so interesting, and again, you know, I'm going to end up doing a whole several shows about this. You know, you have people out here that are imploring and demanding, absolutely unequivocally demanding that we understand the plight of the working poor, working class, poor white people. When these same white people never gave a damn about black people, they didn't and don't give a damn about black people. They didn't and don't give a damn about Latino people. 
They didn't and don't give a damn about Asian people. And they truly, truly didn't and don't give a shit about Native Americans. Yet you want us to understand your plight. You want us to understand where you're coming from. You want us to go out there and stand, well, not stand with you, but stand for you because, you know, you're at home chilling while we're out here protesting the police killing some white person unjustifiably. It's more black and brown people at these vigils for white folks that were killed by the police. Why? So, you know, you'll hear a bunch of them say, oh, that black lives matter. No, all lives matter. Fuck that. No, and, you know, after Trump was elected, you know, people were putting, you know, spray paint graffiti on you know, black lives don't matter. You know, there's all kinds of shit. Well, we already knew that, Sherlock. In your mind, they never, it never mattered. And now that we have, you know, fascism taking over, I want you guys to pay attention to the narratives because they're slowly changing. Pay attention. And, you know, I say speak up, be bold. You ain't got shit to lose anymore. Not a damn thing. And so, you know, I'm just sitting back. You know, and you have, you know, these white folks out here saying that we need to understand where working class and poor whites are coming from. You never gave a damn about us. And what's so interesting is, you know, the narratives that working class and poor whites use on black and brown and red people are the same narratives that rich white elitists were using against working class and poor whites when they elected Donald Trump. And they're still talking shit in the background, but they're just happy because they have control. You know, they won across the board, but you got to thank the media for a lot of that. And so <laughs> it's interesting. I, all I got to say is for some of you, you know, like I said, it was just utter betrayal. And, you know, white people and white people tears. Have you all seen all of these outbursts as of late by white people feeling like they're being discriminated against? Now white people are being discriminated against, so now it's time for them to have their civil rights movement because that's what this is, hope and change for white folks because they're being discriminated against. All of the luxuries, all of the entitlements, all of the privileges that they have become accustomed to, they're not receiving them in totality anymore. So when they have to give up a little bit of that privilege and entitlement to help others that don't look like them, they get angry and lash out sometimes in fear, sometimes just because they're an asshole. And we're going to see more and more of this. And you're going to see them invading more and more of our so-called safe spaces. So be prepared, you know, and again, some of them will have the same skin color 
as yourself. Hell, some of them went to school with you. Some of them went to church with you, go to church with you, what the hell ever. But they've been trained in condition. You know, a little food for thought. You know, and so there are a number a number of things that we need to talk about. But, yeah, you know, again, the Democratic Party over there having their little pity party, like what happened and woe is us, you didn't address voter suppression. You know, and what's so interesting, this is what I'm telling you guys to pay attention to the narrative. The narrative right now is the Democrats lost because they did not pay attention or address the plight of the working class and poor whites. So, again, whiteness is being centered. And this is what we've been talking about. And because the the mere insistence that whiteness continues to be centered, we're not going to make any progress. Actually, life is going to get harder for those that are not a part of that white then diagram, right? So you need to pay attention. You know, more Hispanics, Latinos, Mestizos are identifying as white now. So that should be interesting because I remember someone telling a story about how um, this one Mexican um youth, young man, basically made a comment to a black young man saying, you can't talk to me that way, I'm white. And um, I've had some experiences too. You know, I've had a Puerto Rican woman tell me she was white and then got mad when I laughed and said, in what universe? You know, but yeah, you know, you know, I think we should start putting pressure, you know, I said this when the Supreme Court struck it down, that we needed to put pressure on them. And we knew that voters were going to be suppressed. We knew this was coming. What the hell? You know, I mean, what what the fuck is going on? All the gerrymandering that's been happening, redistricting, you know, drawing those lines in really interesting ways so to ensure that Republicans can win, Democrats not saying anything, you know, need for, I'm just sitting back and looking at the Democrats, looking at the Green Party, looking at the Libertarians, and looking at the Republican Party, because basically the Republican Party has been co-opted by the Tea Partiers. So, yeah, I'm looking at y'all asses too, right? You're not exempt. You're not exempt. And we know this is happening because there are recordings of people bragging about, you know, cheating others out of their vote, which is why you have Donald Trump and some of his people talking about millions of illegal votes. 
You know he's talking about black and brown people, red people. Yeah. Yes. There's irrefutable evidence all over the place. Come on now. What, I shouldn't believe my lying eyes? Is that what you said? Then you have a group of people who feel that voting, that people shouldn't vote. I get that too. You know, and there's just so much going on. But, yeah, you know, you're going to find more and more invasions of our safe spaces. You know, more and more people, white people, giving us the middle finger and telling us to sit and stand, right? What do you do? So, you know, I just wanted to put some food for thought out there. Really want you to think about it. But most importantly, I want you to come out of your your safety zone there. You need to start reading about what's happening in other countries. It's extremely important that you do that. And you see what the conservative movement has achieved, you know, in in these European countries. You know, but I mean, I want you to read news about other countries outside of Europe too. It's important that you understand what's happening over in China, especially with this brouhaha with Donald Trump in Taiwan. You know, you need to pay attention. You know, there's a bunch of bullshit going on with Russia, too. You need to pay attention to that. You know, we're all smart enough to be able to pay attention to a number of different things. But, you know, we're living in a global society. And so, you know, that kind of ties into what you're seeing in America with these white lashes and with this White Lives Matter movement or this civil rights movement for white folks, you know, because now when I see and hear white people saying civil rights movement, you know, I always say in the back of my head, yeah, for white people and normalizing whatever it is you want to normalize, you know, while standing to the side quietly and in some cases giggling when people of color are accosted attacked, you know, and that's only a few of them. Most of them will not say a damn word, and you'll have a few who speak up. But you need to pay attention. You know, I remember in France, you know, they would have those protests of the white nationalists and the Nazis, and the same thing was happening over in Germany and Italy. And I posted quite a bit about that. And what people need to understand is that when talking about racism or the racial divide in many countries, other countries, the narrative is a bit different than a narrative that we have in America. The American narrative is very, very messy. And, um, you know, that's why a lot of these Europeans, they won't allow for that to happen over there. So it's, just, it's, it's really interesting. Do some research. Do some research to get a better understanding of what's happening because it's spreading. It's spreading. 
and also, you know, there are different incidents happening out here. And, of course, every time certain white people see that maybe a person, you know, a Muslim, was involved, they automatically want to declare it as radical Islam. And that's not true. And you see a lot of that within a lot of these so-called marginalized communities dominated by white people. You need to pay attention because your turn is next. And you don't have to believe me. Like the older white people used to tell me, just live a little. Live a little, you'll see, you know. And also, you know, we're going to talk about the code of conduct for black people. You know, and I really want to say, you know, for, you know, the diaspora of Africans, you know, the Colin Kaepernick is in town, you know, so San Fran is um, playing Chicago today. And all on the news, you know, white, older white men who were veterans and what have you were demanding that he stand for the pledge in Chicago because the stadium that they're playing in is named after, you know, a military vet. And, you know, you got these double standards out here, and it's absolutely astounding. So, yeah, we're going to do a show about that, you know, talking about the code of conduct for blacks you know, throughout the world. Not everybody identifies as black, so that's why I said the African diaspora. So, um, yeah, we need to talk about that. You know, talk about the double standards and all of that. I guess I better create the show before someone drops their blog with it and claiming that, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, y'all, I'm just sitting back, and I just want you guys to pay attention to what's happening, you know, and some of the stories that are out there. And, yeah, you know, to the caller that called in, thank you. Thank you for calling in, and I appreciate it. You know, and, you know, like you said, millions of people are you know, falling over themselves to come and be a part of this country. However, that's also changed because, you know, I can post stories about how a lot of Mexicans and, you know, South Americans and Central Americans, you know, they're leaving. And many of them are too afraid to come over here now because of Donald Trump. So, yeah, you got a lot of folks, you know, leaving this country. You know, Donald Trump is saying that, you know, he wants to take American citizenship away from certain people. I guess if you burn a flag or you may say or do something that, you know, they consider as treasonous, you know, like maybe you'll say you don't like Donald Trump's hair. Can they take your citizenship away for that? You know, and and it's just the whole thing is just out freaking rageous. So the next four years, we're going to have to deal with 
Donald Trump and his thin skin and, you know, a lot of the bullshit that's going on out there and, and moving forward. And uh, I just tell you guys to, you know, keep an eye out, pay attention, and, uh, you know, we can move forward. Uh, we got three minutes left on the show. I see we have a caller, another caller, and I'll pick up in a minute. But, again, this is Kimberly with Black Free Thinkers. And we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. Again, we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And next week we will be talking about white splaining from the Democrats. All right, caller, may we ask your name? Black Love and Black Power, this is Equine, uh, and I'm calling from uh, South Carolina. How's the family? How are you, sis? Well, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing just fine. I'm doing just fine. And um, All right. you, so you know, do you have a question or comment? Basically, just 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 basically calling in, and I love to try to be supportive supportive to all you guys' platform. Um, whenever I have the time um, to to exchange uh, uh, and engage in in this subject that you you are talking about. And it has a lot to do with us regaining our, our greatness back. And, you know, even when you were just talking about uh, Donald Trump, I'm, I'm wondering if Donald Trump maybe or could be a catalyst uh, to help us get our, our black minds, our black African minds back in line. Um, because it seems like a lot of us, the most of us, have been over here in America complacent, and especially after uh, the eight years of Barack Obama, I was arguing with all types of Negroes before his presidency. And, you know, I, I guess they had thought we made it, but I've never witnessed this much police brutality and unfair treatment mm-hmm. to blacks in my whole entire life. So we are applauding exactly. and, and, and corralling around his his election for what? And a lot of times we right. allow ourselves as black people to continuously get duped, get fooled, get tricked, get conned into believing the thing that the that the white uh, European, the, the oppressor, uh, wants us to believe. We buy into that stuff. So uh, I'm I'm hoping right. that that the, the the things that are happening, the formulas, are formulas for us to get our shit back together, and so we can see uh, that from which we, we come from because we used to be great. Um, so hopefully we can get back to that place. Well, you know, all right. So I agree with, you know, with some of what you're saying here. It's just interesting because with Donald Trump, he says he's going to make America great again. And my question is, when has America ever been great for black people? You understand? And what's interesting is since Donald Trump was elected, gun sales to black people have quadrupled. You know, and so it's going to be, you know, an interesting, like I said, a rootin' tootin' four years ahead of us. But, yeah, I'm hoping that, you know, Donald Trump and his rhetoric and the people that he surrounds himself with, you know, you know, I hope that this is playing out on the stage the way we need in order to bring us all together to work together because at the end of the day, Donald Trump, 
you know, he's in it for him and his white elitist friends, you know, his cronies. You're seeing a lot of cronyism happening now, and he hasn't even taken the oath of office. But, yes, hopefully this will bring our communities back together so that we learn how to work with one another, how to live with one another, but especially how to love one another, you know, because it's like, you know, like you said, you know, with the police brutality. And one of the things I like to stress for people to understand is that all of these different movements that you've seen in the black and Latino communities in America, they have started because of police brutality. And the majority, the great majority of them were started by black women who did not like what they were seeing in regards to, you know, black men as well as other black women being brutalized by the police. But what's happening now is, you know, black women have been thrown under the bus. Just it's, it's outrageous because not only are we fighting the, you know, the system, if you will, but we're also fighting, you know, men and other well, black men and other black women in our communities as well, and then people wonder why we're tired and why some women are getting to the point that they will only fight for women's issues or black women's issues because, you know, it turns into a thankless job, especially when you have certain people that are coming in and trying to co-opt it. And unfortunately, with some of these movements, you've had black men move in once the women have done all the hard work, financed everything, got it organized, then they want to come in and take over. And so then you have, you know, a lot of the infighting. But, you know, we're going to have to do something. We're going to have to do something. Um, and that's why I see some of us coming together but even seeing some of the infighting that's happening now, I understand why some people are sitting there and they refuse to march one inch for anybody. They refuse to donate one dime. I get it. And I see a lot of sick shit out there too, you know. And But at the end of the day, eventually they're going to make it down our row. So it's just a matter of time before they come for the rest of us. Then what? Will you have anyone there that's willing to support you after you refuse to support anyone else? So, you know, these are things that we have to talk about. But, yeah, no, I agree with you. You know, hopefully this will bring us together. And we we neglect it and we miss the opportunity to make some strides when Barack Obama was president. We should have had an agenda and we should have pushed it. Because one of the things that I know for a fact is going to come out of Donald Trump's mouth is, are you asking me for A, B, C, D, and E when you didn't even ask Barack Obama for A, B, C, D, and E? And for those out there that are heralding, you know, and uplifting, you know, um, Donald Trump, and they're saying, look, he has a new deal for black people, new deal 2.0. And I'm like, you better go and read that. Because even the first New Deal hurt us. You know, initially, before the New Deal with FDR, it would be one unemployed white person for one unemployed black person. After the New Deal, it became two unemployed black people, 
to one unemployed white person. And that number has steadily gone up. And it's not about to stop and it's not about to change. The conditions are going to get worse. And so when we start talking about economics, you know, you have to look at it from two different levels, you know, macro and micro. On the macro level, you know, America is doing great. You know, the stock market hitting new highs, you know, more and more billionaires, you know, we're coming into a trillionaire class. That is where we are right now. But on the, you know, on the micro level, you know, macro is when with, with the economy at large on the macro level, which is, you know, John and Jane Doe, common American, you and me, not so much especially with black and Latinos, you know, Americans, you know, not faring so well, underpaid, underemployed, overworked, taken for granted, used and discarded like a used tissue as they pick up their manufacturing plants and move them to Mexico and South America. And you can thank Bill Clinton for that with NAFTA. You know, and and we, again, I try to explain to people we need to look at this from a more global perspective because now with TPP and we're competing with people in India and people in China and, and, you know, all over the world, people all over the world, who some of them are happy to make 20 cents a day, five bucks a week, if that. So, again, you know, I want them to pay attention to the narratives and especially some of the false narratives that they're putting out here. You have people out here jumping for joy because Donald Trump called the executives over at Carrier or Health Technologies to keep that plant in America. But, you know, they've gotten, you know, for them to stay, they've gotten over $15 million in tax breaks. They're still going to send a certain amount of jobs over there, and a lot of people feel as though Donald Trump overstepped his boundaries. And this is why you've never had any other president call these companies. Donald Trump sees that as a victory, while economists, you know, and politicians do not. Why? Because he's not going to be able to make a phone call for every company that's leaving, the, you know, that's going, that's threatening to leave America. And, you know, it, it's, it's a lot more to it. And I guess we could probably do a show talking about that in economic embargoes and, you know, a number of other things. But, you know, for, you know, wealthy white people and some wealthy black people, you know, life is grand. They're making money. You know, yeah. it's not a threat to them. So, yeah, yeah. you know, but yeah, thank you for listening and calling in. I appreciate it, you know, because there's a lot of things that we need to talk about. And one of the things that I like, you know, like for the show next week, I'm going to be talking about white splaining from the Democrats and telling us to don't worry, be happy, while they still get to enjoy their white privilege and their entitlement. And even some of the black, um, you know, politicians are saying the same thing. They're going to be wealthy and they're going to prosper regardless. So anyway, we're 10 minutes over, you know, my caller dropped, but thank you so very much for calling in, both of the callers. I appreciate it. And again, this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. All right, y'all, take it easy and enjoy 
the rest of your day. Take care.